This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. This is the third part in our series, Tips for High-Income Pilots, What to Do with Excess Income. You know, as a reminder, you know, we're not allowed by law to give you financial advice by this. You know, it's only general information. You should always consult a financial advisor for information specific to your needs. We recommend you're finding a fee-based certified financial planner who must comply with the FINRA rules and regulations. A fiduciary is important. Uh, before we get started, I have a couple of announcements. Uh, number one, there's, uh, and I love these. If you, please send me more information about scholarships you see in the newspaper. I would love to put them as announcements and also include them in the scholarships guide. Uh, so I guess there's two announcements. Number one, I've said this before, the scholarships guide has been updated. We are moving away from the model of a online directory towards uh, selling it in the Amazon and the iBook store. We may have it in other stores in the future, but what we're doing is updating that occasionally, that book in the bookstore, and then what you do is you re-download it. Uh, we will in the future go back to the whole database, but it's going to be a lot different, and it's going to be another couple years down the road. But basically what we're going to have is you're going to look at the scholarships guide, and you're going to be able to pick out from that scholarships guide uh, a letter you know, in the book, and then go see the most current scholarship. But the scholarship we want to shout out today is uh it's actually there's a link in the website it's a good article about Jeremy aviation news it's student musicians for scholarships and internships uh, the flying musicians association is a friend of the podcast and uh they're looking for applicants for two of their programs uh focusing mainly on high school and college music students that have a passion for aviation uh they're looking for people to look at both a scholarship and also internship programs to find out more about that there's a link on the website also obviously if you have the scholarships guide it is in the scholarships guide as far as the scholarship is concerned. Uh, also, the link to their website does describe the internship program. Also, for those that are uh, looking for coaching, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. You can watch the video. You want to learn a little bit little bit more about that. You know, we do the career counseling. We do one-on-one coaching. Uh, we also, you know, do a lot of other things. You know, if you have a problem with uh, your certificate or you have an issue that you think you might have in the future concerning your certificate, uh, we kind of help you go through those times. Say it's a medical issue. Say it's uh, something else on your application you want to look at. And we also review applications for you. Also, one more announcement I forgot to mention, really important one. As you know, we've moved over to Lakeland, Florida, but right now we're going to be coming out with this podcast on Monday. We're recording a little early on Wednesday today because that is when the uh, Hurricane Irma is scheduled to actually hit us. And unfortunately, it looks like it's coming our way. And uh, we're probably not going to be able to put out another episode for another week or two because I'm, I'm expecting no power. If we have power or if I'm able to go somewhere and record another episode, I will. But obviously, the most important thing is to keep safe during these times. Uh, we will be uh, actually having hosting some families at our house because uh, uh, we are at higher ground and people are right now uh, evacuating and getting hotel rooms in our area of, of Lakeland, Florida. Uh, so everybody be safe out there that's listening in central Florida. I know uh, currently as we speak, 
uh, it's hitting uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico. And I know they've been, it's not shut down, but there's really no flights out of, out of San Juan right now. Anyway, moving along, we, uh, we are joined by Andy Garrison, who uh, is from Airspeed and Money. And one of the things that we're talking about, again, is going back to this series. And I, I highly recommend you going back to part one and two. It's really cool stuff. And the reason we're doing this series, we want to appeal to all different pilots. I know that there's a lot of airline pilots that listen right now, captains at majors and first officers at majors, and they want something focused more towards them. So occasionally we're doing these high-income, uh, you know, series for high-income pilots. What's interesting, too, is that when you are have a little more income, and I know it's tough for some of you starting out right now to think of this, but when you have more income, you want to know what to do with that excess income. And uh, many of us, uh, we we usually invest it or we get involved in some kind of, of side business. So uh, we're going to discuss, we're going to start off there and uh, with Andy talking a little bit about investing it wisely. You know, what should you do uh, with your, your money? And again, Andy, welcome, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Carl, glad to be back. It's uh, it's really good, and what you've done in the past has been awesome, and has been brought up some really, really cool points. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of us, we like I do the podcasting, and I do a little bit of real estate investing. Um, you know, what are your feelings on on what we should do as far as you know, or what you've seen in the past as far as wise investments? Yeah, you bet, you bet. I think one of the most, uh, or one of the areas that gets me the most excited with pilots is is you build up your career and. You have that excess income coming in, and our goal is always to have some money left over. So the question is, once we have that excess income, what do we really do with it? Uh, obviously, there's the option to spend it. Uh, coming from a financial planner here, that's not always the always the first thing on my mind for folks. Um, but you know, out, outside of that, there's some really good options. Uh, whether it's investing in yourself and continue to become more valuable, or build up additional skills, or maybe it's a side business or certain types of real estate. So we can talk a little bit more about all of those, uh, but those are really the main options when we're looking at our excess cash is whether we leave it in cash and just kind of have it build up for a future opportunity, whether we're investing it in ourselves, uh, whether that's greater education or developing more skills, invest it in a side business, maybe that's our own, maybe it's with somebody else or various other types of investments out there. Interesting you said the first one. Everybody thinks of business and investments. Sometimes we forget about ourselves. Um, some examples of that, just to give you an example, what I do is, uh, you know, I do the coaching and a lot of times I will pick up a book and learn something new about life coaching and career coaching or learn something new about a career field that that's helping me personally and it's helping me help people and it helps me in my business. So you can do that or take some extra courses online. I do a few little side courses to get to be better, a better pilot, uh, to be a better counselor, to be a, a better career coach. So I'm constantly doing that. I think those investments can vary. They can be uh, an investment of just a few dollars in a book, or they can be a few thousand dollars or even ten, twenty thousand dollars in getting a degree or, or certification. So Andy, is that, that kind of the, the idea as far as around self-investing? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and to your point, I'm glad you brought up a book. I mean, some of the, the best lessons I've learned uh, if, if that haven't come from, from my own mistakes over the years have come from just picking up a simple book to read and trying to identify one or two things out of that book that you can do, actions you can take to make yourself a little bit better or more valuable to whoever you serve, whether that's passengers on a flight or other coworkers or your airline in general, or whether it's for any side business you do, whether it's coaching or writing or speaking or whatever it may be. And so the more we improve ourselves, 
it turns out to be a really good investment because we always know what we're going to get on the other side of it. So one of the things that I think is really important other than self-investing is investing in general. And when we're talking investments, this is excess income. I know we talked in other episodes about 401ks, et cetera. This is after you've maxed out all that, the 401ks and, and those type of things. Now, now where do we go? You're sitting there, oh my gosh, I have this pool of money. Now what do I do? Do I buy real estate or do I invest? Now, strictly investing that money into something that actually is similar to your 401k may be helpful, but uh, there's some other ideas too, aren't there, Andy? Yeah, there definitely is. And, you know, I encourage people to, to, to think broadly when it comes to this. And what you, you always want to make sure that you're doing something, buying some sort of asset. And an asset is, is a broad term for something that has the ability to make you money, either by generating income or by appreciation. And we've all heard the term, uh, you know, the rich keep getting richer and sometimes positive connotations, sometimes negative. But the reality behind it is uh, the way you do that is you just continue to, to invest in things that are either going to gain value for you or generate more income that you can then invest in other things. And, and so when you're taking some of that excess and, and investing in those different areas, whether that be an individual business or real estate or more traditional investments or non-traditional investments, those are the things that when you just do that, and we've joked before, Carl, that you just do the right thing and uh, you wake up 30 years later in overnight success, right? And, <laughs> and, and so that's the ultimate kind of concept behind it. But I, I tend to separate things out between different side businesses and up to and including real estate and then your more just general investments and, and some things that fall in that category. One of the things that's interesting about investments, some people like to figure out where their their income comes from these different investments. And one of the things, too, is it's good to get advice. As a side note, it's good to get advice from people that, that have gone through this already. Uh, and, you know, we like to be transparent here. We like to be personal. I don't like to be too private. Obviously, I'm not going to run out numbers and stuff like that. But to give you an idea, I mean, I kind of walk the walk. 30% of my income actually comes from investments. So that's that's quite a bit. I'm, I'm not sure what's normal, but, uh, you know, I feel that I'm trying as hard as I can to also have some other things happen, like, like you said, with assets, growing assets, that type of thing. I think a lot of us that have a lot of time on our hands, we wind up doing what we said in the beginning. We buy a boat, we go out and buy an airplane, and, and we, we feel that that's an investment. Investment. And it can be depending if it makes money later on, but normally those things wind up costing us money. By investments, we're talking kind of like, you know, with real estate, that type of thing. But uh, but really, it's also investments in, in things that are, are really going to be fun for yourself and interesting to yourself. Because I will say one thing I found in, in a lot of different investments I've done, the ones that I dislike, I find I don't do well with and I'm not interested in. So if I like real estate, I'll stick with it. Um, I just left the real estate business after 20 some odd years. I'm no longer a landlord, um, but it really, it was okay. Um, but I enjoy doing some other things more and, and doing some other type of investing. Uh, and that's, that's a fun part for me. So as far as you're concerned, before we get into some of these other things like side businesses in general in investing, um, do you give advice to people to invest in things they, they know or they like, or, or is it just, you know, invest in anything? Yeah, I think that's a great, great question, Carl. I, so there, there's a caution with that. But yeah, it's, it's typically we want to invest in things that we're familiar with and that we can like. 
Uh, we may not necessarily like them right now because we may not have familiarity around them. But if we're passionate about something or, or we share enthusiasm around certain areas and maybe it's real estate, maybe it's other investments, maybe it's coaching or doing a, a different type of business or whatever it might be, we're going to tend to be more interested. And the more interested we are in our investments and the areas we're trying to generate income, ultimately, the better we're going to be there. And, you know, I, I know you've uh, shared before from things you, you've learned and I've learned and, uh, and seen clients learn over the last uh, decade or so that chasing the dollar doesn't always work, right? And, and <laughs> so you don't want to necessarily get into an investment or into a business just because of the potential or the perceived potential of some type of return or an incredible return. Because often uh, we all know the saying about if it looks too good to be true, it sometimes is. But more importantly, you just don't want that passion and that energy to fizzle out over time. And so that's why going after and doing the things and investing in the things that you enjoy or that you have an interest in are so is so impactful to your financial future. But at the same time, you also want to balance it out and you don't want to get so concentrated or so focused only in one area that you end up overexposed. And a simple example of that might be we all, I, I believe on this podcast, all love aviation in and out. And so if our career was flying and we used all of our excess investments to maybe invest in a flight school or an FBO and then everything else went into airline stocks, there's risk associated with that by just being over concentrated in one area. So you have to balance those two out. That's a great point. And uh, before we move on to the next topic, as far as like side businesses, et cetera, one of the things I think people don't realize is they might become interested in something. You, you know, don't knock it till you try it is what, what I like to say. There are certain things that you might invest in that you never thought of doing before. Uh, you know, I have a friend that was in sewer grates. Um, I used to be in seafood and lobster in particular and did not realize that I loved being in the lobster business and selling lobster. And this is, you know, a previous career. I had no idea until I got into it that, hey, yeah, I am interested. But by doing research, finding out that there was much more than just selling lobster to, to being in the lobster business, it became something I was quite interested in and, and it was fascinating to me. And, uh, and obviously it was very lucrative, which also helped make it more interesting to me because it made so much money. So so those are, those are the kind of things that are good. But uh, one of the things that I think is important is never knock a deal, try it. In other words, always have an open mind. You know, think about what it is you might get involved in an investment. Oh, have an open mind, do your research, and and move forward with it. One of the things that you mentioned, though, is people get involved in aviation a lot of times even as a side business, and that's opening yourself up to just one industry. If that one industry goes down, it's not so good. But, you know, there's a lot of people out there that get involved in side businesses. I've seen people raise dogs. I've seen them, you know, have cattle. I've had, you know, pigs, uh, horses, they've actually got into investing in boats and boat sales and things like that. One of the things I've noticed, though, is a lot of times it, it sounds like it's more of a hobby than a business to them. In other words, if it didn't make money, they'd still do it. Um, so one of the concerns there is, and I don't understand this that well, never had this problem, but there is a thing that, that the, I guess the government looks at as far as making it look, looking at a business and saying, hey, this is not really a business. This is a actually a hobby. So kind of bring us into that. And in, in as far as a, a business on the side, how do we actually keep that business legitimate? Yeah, great point. And I'm glad you brought that up, Carl. I mean, it's uh, to, to our earlier point of 
pursuing something you like or that you enjoy or that you may have a passion for, a lot of times we find ourselves saying, hey, I really enjoy X and X is typically a hobby. And then you say, hey, I've got some spare time. I bet I can turn this into a business. And when we turn something into a business, the IRS wants to make sure that it's a real business. (laughs) And they have these provisions in place called hobby loss rules. And basically what it says is that if you're operating as a business, uh, one of the reasons you hear a lot of times, and you'll hear a lot of pilots talk of why they do create businesses or have side businesses, is there are good tax advantages to it. Uh, well, the IRS says true, and we allow those. However, we want to make sure that what you're doing is an actual business, and you're not just writing off the losses from your hobby. So it, the, the, the main purpose behind these hobby loss rules is the IRS says that if you're going to be in business five years, you have to make a profit every three or at least three of those five years inside of there. Uh, if you're if you're doing racehorses, there's a little bit more lenient rules around there. But if you're doing traditional businesses, you need to make sure that you're operating within those guidelines and you're not uh, that you really are intending to operate a business and not just funding your hobby and creating a business structure around it and using write offs to reduce your taxable income. Because you will get caught. The IRS, that's one of the number one things they look for. So let, let's look at a business that you truly are uh, butting together, and it turns out to not have a profit in those three to five years. And um, say you actually have employees and, and you're trying to either farm or you're trying to get a, a business off the ground. Um, one of the things that, that is a concern is that, hey, you know, you're sitting there like, gosh, this, I see other legitimate businesses out there that are not profitable three out of five years. Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, and I think I know the answer to this, but it seems to me that if you, you really are putting forth an effort to, to make money in a business and you, you haven't really made that money, but you say you're employing people and it's growing, that type of thing. Uh, I don't know if, it, for, from my perspective, that would be bad. I mean, you're, you're actually employing people and you are intending to make, make money. So what are some of the kind of, is there any rules of thumb that the IRS looks at to make sure you're not a hobby business? Yeah, there, there, there are. Uh, again, it's when you get beyond that and you look at it, it, it kind of differs for every situation. So going back to your first point, you want to make sure you're talking to someone that understands your exact situation in a CPA or an accountant in this situation. Um, but by and large, what they actually look at is that that hobby loss rule trigger of not making if you're if you go three years and you're not making a profit three out of five years, then that's what warrants farther investigation. But if they see that you have actual income and that income's growing and generating and you're hiring employees and you're just reinvesting in the business, they can consider that a legitimate business. It just basically goes back to how much of the losses they might disallow for how long. You know, one of the interesting things, we look at a lot of these, these tech startups and just, uh, you know, picking on Uber for a moment, uh, <laughs> they've, they certainly have not turned a profit in many years. And is, But what the IRS would look at in that case is they're not allowing – Often, and, and I would assume in their case, they're not allowing their owners and founders to receive too much of those losses. Those losses kind of build up, and then as income is generated in the future and actual profit is generated, oftentimes the IRS lets you then take those losses to offset future income. And it's basically a guideline just to make sure that you're not gen- or you, you don't have a business where you're generating minimal income but writing off a lot of losses year after year. 
I think one of the things that I, it's really important, you said this, is get yourself a CPA. Get someone to help you out because I know that really helped me a lot where, you know, we were actually in the, at the point of growing our business. And uh, obviously we became profitable, but it was in year four that we became profitable. And, uh, you know, we were a little worried with, the, with that hobby rule. And my accountant's like, listen, you don't have to worry because every year you've been making more money. You've been mm-hmm. investing in the business. Uh, but there are a lot of folks out there, and and I'm seeing this done. There's a difference between going out and buying a pickup truck to move your equipment. You know, we had, we owned ice cream machines throughout the state of Florida, so we had a pickup truck to move equipment. Well, we made that separate in our business as opposed to having a, a nice car to drive, like a nice Jeep. That was on my personal side of the world. Uh, so if and that was one of the things that that the accountant cautioned me on. And this is just using this as an example. Is that don't don't try to put too much into your business because you're going to show a big loss. And really those things that you're showing a loss on are, are things that you're benefiting from. And yeah, it's really not used to grow the business. So be very careful there. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point, Carl. Last thing I'll, I'll just mention on that is what, what I've found over the years and working with a lot of accountants and, and, and folks on this is you generally know uh, whether you're at risk of running afoul of these rules, if you are just, you know, having a business to buy a truck or something like that, uh, you know, so as long as you're operating with good integrity and good intention on there, most accounts are going to tell you that you're just fine and you'll end up on the right side of things. Yeah. And the other thing too, it just as an aside is it just make sure, you know, be, be honest, you know, and, and try to make a money in the business. And if you're really honest and legitimate, you should be okay going forward with a business though. A lot of people ask me, you know, what should I do? And I was getting that question last week, you know, how do I, how do I figure out what I want to do as a business and something on the side? And it's really, that's one of the things we do in the coaching, obviously, is we'll sit down and find out, you know, what talents do you have? And also, you know, what things are of interest to you, but also there's other things out there you may not even know about. And, uh, I like people to just start reading the paper, looking around, figuring out ways that you want to make your life better, which might help other people also. That's one of the things, but you know, Andy, I'd like to figure, you know, find out from you, what, what are some of the ways that you find out new ideas for in a business? Yeah, I, you know, I'm a pretty systems-driven person, <laughs> so I, I, for a lot of my clients, I create a system around it, and the first thing we look at is what are kind of what I call parallel flows to what you're doing now, and you've brought this up a, a couple times in different podcasts, Carl, of uh, folks that find something very much aligned with what they're doing now. So if you're building up hours, uh, for example, um, and you're doing flight instructing, maybe there's a way to do online ground schools. I, you know, I know there's folks that have done some of that and, and done some online courses for it. Um, but ultimately, you want to look for things that what are really close to what I'm doing right now, because you often have those skills that are there. And when you're very involved in the industry and doing something, it's also a great opportunity to see where there might be gaps where you can add value. And by being a newer, smaller business, you're able to be a little bit more nimble. Uh, so that's the first step I always encourage people to do is look at what might be really close to what you're doing right now. And then second is uh, the second step is really what you just talked about, what you do with some of your coaching is just outlining and, and literally writing down and making a list of your skills and the kind of the expertise that you have in different areas. And for a lot of folks, that can be harder than it sounds. And so it's often good to have a third party, whether it's a, you know career coaching, a spouse, or something like that, where you just say, hey, what are my superpowers? What are those things that I'm that are so normal and common to me, but are extraordinary to others? And when you start doing that and going through that exercise, 
you really do start getting a better idea of where you can add value in different parts of different industries as well. And then doing exactly what you just mentioned, Carl, whether it's reading papers or books or articles or blogs online or just browsing different things. And then you just find that when you start taking those steps, you start making connections and finding ideas that you can kind of run out the ground ball on, if you will, to see if they have potential to uh, not only give you give you pleasure and have you enjoy it along the way, but even make you money as well. Andy, to add to that, I think humility is important when you're looking mm-hmm. at ideas. Uh, listen to your friends, listen to your family, uh, your business associates. Uh, a good example is the coaching that I do. I really was not looking to get into that at all. Uh, someone came up to me, and it's, it's somewhat of a humbling experience because here is a big part of my business, and I didn't even think about it. Someone else gave me the idea. And they said, Carl, you know, you've spent decades helping people move forward in their careers and finding jobs. Why don't you do some coaching? I was like, well, gosh, I never thought of that. And I was like, yeah, there's a great idea. I could help more people that way. And uh, all of a sudden, it became a big part of my life. And I didn't, I wasn't planning on it. So sometimes ideas come from other people. I mean, even getting into aviation, uh, there was somebody that I was working with doing model airplanes and said to me, hey, do you know, you can actually fly those things. And I was like, really? And now all of a sudden, it's my career. So you have to, you have to realize some of your best ideas don't come from yourself. Sometimes they come from your friends and people close to you. So so just be humble, listen to your family, listen to your friends, your business associates. And when someone people tell you things over and over, it's time you might want to look at it. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, I think that's a great point. So Andy, I know another thing that people get into is real estate. Uh, real estate uh, always has made money in my life. Uh, it's made a lot of headaches also, <laughs> but uh, it's been a wonderful thing. It's really enabled me to do things and, and be able to, to donate to certain things that I've wanted to donate to. But there's, you know, it's not, it's not the panacea. You can actually definitely lose money in real estate. Not every year do you make money. So there are some, some things that we have to, to worry about or, or caution people about as far as real estate is concerned, don't we? Yeah, I, I, I definitely believe so. I, and from my perspective, Carl, it's, uh, it is it is one of the areas that can build and, and often does build significant wealth for people over time. But it can also it also has lower lower barriers to entry than a lot of times we think. And what I mean by that is it's easier to get into real estate than uh, than we sometimes realize. And because of that, it can cause us to not always end with the best deals in the beginning or think things all the way through or just think, hey, all I've got to do is buy these houses and my mortgage is X and I can rent it out for Y. And then the difference is profit to me and someone's paying my mortgage. But there's a lot of other considerations that go into it that you want to work through too. Uh, Not the least of which, and I see this with pilots, is when you choose to move or if you are looking at real estate early in your career and you end up wanting to domicile someplace else or live close by, it can be challenging to manage real estate out of state and it can be costly and it can be hard when you're on the road or in the air. And it's, uh, it's one of those areas that you tend to not make as much money as you might think in the first several years. And it can take quite a few years to get rolling. And there can be, as you mentioned, Carl, quite a few headaches along the way. 
I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, I I really have never had a real estate investment that I've gotten out of that uh, was less than 10 years. Uh, and like you said, there are years. I mean, there's some headaches and there's some risk involved. You're not going to make as much money as you think. That's for sure. Uh, in the end, it's great, but it could take you a while to make that kind of money, but it snowballs. So there are some cautions there. And like you said, it's so easy to buy properties. It's a lot tougher to get rid of them. <laughs> so it's, it's so much easier, just in general, easier to get into investments than to get out of investments. So there, that's some, some great cautions with the real estate world. And, um, and you know, the other thing too, is if you're somebody that likes to get sleep and doesn't want to be woken up at five in the morning with a plumbing issue, that may not be for you <laughs> because, or, or you may want to have somebody that's uh, that actually is in the management business. You mentioned having properties far away. My closest property was a thousand miles away when I was uh, investing in real estate. Uh, I did just the opposite of what everybody says and it actually worked out okay, but I forego profits because I had to share those profits with somebody who manages the property. So there's all sorts of ways of, of setting those up. Um, also, another thing too is, um, you know, you're setting up this real estate business or in general, when you're setting up a business, uh, there's certain things we have to plan for, don't we, in a new business when you're, you're, you wind up purchasing stuff and uh, you wind up having a lot of deductions because of those things that you purchase and other things in general. What are some of those tax planning things that we have to look at when we're actually starting a new business, uh, say it in real estate or whatever it may be? Yeah, you know, when we look at at tax planning and and starting a new business in general, uh, one of the first couple things I always tell people to look into is realize it's probably going to take twice as much money to start up as you think, and it's probably going to take twice as long to get rolling as you hope. And when you take that into mind, into consideration, you want to make sure that what you do up front and what you're purchasing and, and how you purchase it is in the wisest possible way. And oftentimes working with a good accountant that has experience in business or or even a financial planner that has experience in helping folks start up business is you're going to have a better understanding of how the IRS rules relate to things like research and development and getting started with things, uh, the upfront cost of establishing businesses and the legal work and the kind of the detective work or running out ground balls on certain things and how if you do those right from the beginning and you set up your structure right from the beginning a lot of that becomes deductible under separate situations that allow you to, to just take a little bit better advantage of them versus maybe just kind of getting some of those ideas in the beginning and then trying to research them and then finally starting the business up afterwards um, and then you also want to make sure that when you are looking at different tax planning situations that you know what you're buying and that if you are purchasing something for the business, that you are using it for the business in the right way and classifying it and categorizing it in the right way because that'll allow you to maximize your deductions. And because uh, more often than not, when you buy things for a business, it has to be that purchase has to be spread out and deducted over many years. Uh, however, if you make sure it's categorized and classified in the right way, there are rules the IRS calls it the either accelerated depreciation or, or a bonus depreciation rules that you can actually take those uh, in the first year. And when you think about if you're a high income pilot or even a modern income pilot and you've already paying a good chunk of taxes, if you're able to save extra money in the first year starting up a business, that actually helps the business cash flow. And so that's why tax planning when you're a high income pilot is so important when you are starting up a business is it just allows that cash flow to be a little bit easier in the first place. 
these ideas that you just talked about, I know that I've gone to my accountant for. Are there any other people that you would go towards to to maybe get some of these ideas other than, say, a mentor in the business? Yeah, that, that was going to be my next thing. Is And you mentioned it briefly a little bit ago, is you want to find somebody who's who's done uh, what you're looking to do, right, and, and learn their pitfalls and get their understanding uh, any any good kind of coach, whether it's a you know you you Carl in this example is someone just helping make sure that it's aligned with your talents and you'll be able to to do it and and still be passionate about it uh, months down the road and a financial planner or compiling it alongside your your broader financial plan to know sort of when you might need to cut bait if things don't go as planned or what you can invest in things to grow. I think getting uh, all of those folks involved is important. Uh, I, I will say that for for those of us uh, that are that are married and have started different businesses over the years, uh, we've probably all learned mostly through experience that you want to make sure your your spouse or significant others on board too, and make sure that you're working with them and and others in your family that they have that support system as well. One of the things that I think is important, going back to the to the coaching and the mentorship. You know, I was really fortunate in the aviation world to have some incredible mentors, but also in my business, I was able to get some really good mentors. Someone told me this a long time ago, is find a good mentor. And what you mentioned about doubling the time and doubling the money, I've always given that advice because I was given that advice when I first started my business, especially one that was very capital intense. And this person said to me, listen, double the time, double the business. And this mentor of mine, he actually had 800 restaurants. And, uh, you know, it's a, it was a, a you know, I'm not going to name the name, but it was a, you know, a common name in a restaurant that he had. And he was the one that said to me, double the time, double the money, but also try to stay out of debt as much as possible more so personal debt. And we've talked a little bit about that. Leveraging cash is good. Leveraging your money is good. But when it comes to your personal finances, try to stay away from debt as much as possible. There's both good and bad debt. We're not going to get into that right now, obviously. Uh, but there's, these are the things that you learn from having a mentor. And it's been absolutely a blessing to me to be able to call those people and say, hey, listen, you know, can I can I ask you a question? I don't want anything from you. I just want to be able to ask you questions. And uh, that was worth more than anything else that person could have done for me uh, is just being able to ask those questions. So uh, that's really, really important. Um, but, you know, all these different things are good. But uh, one of the other things that, that we are looking at, and this is a higher income pilot, and even like you said, moderate income pilot, you start getting frustrated when you start seeing, you know, as you move up in the ladder, you start seeing not just six-figure income, but you also start seeing six-figure taxes. And I know this sounds kind of crazy to some of us listening right now, but it happens. I mean, we wind up spending over or giving over $100,000 to the government. But there's ways that we can actually make our investments so that we get some tax advantages. And I think the the word is efficiencies, I think, in investments. So what are what are some ideas there, Andy, as far as maybe certain, I guess the, the word is efficient investments? Is that the correct term to use? Yeah, yeah, I believe so. And and that's the word I use, so I'm going to call it correct. <laughs> but uh, there, there's really a kind of two sides to tax-efficient investments. And one is based under the banner of just don't make your tax situation worse, right? And so how what are those investments that, that minimize the tax impact from the gains that they have? And then the other side of the spectrum are what are some investments that actually provide more proactive 
tax advantages. And that could mean they actually might pass through some of their deductions to you in their early years. And, and so under both those categories, uh, finding a nice mix makes a lot of sense. Um, but a lot of times is, is you have this excess income and you're building up assets and, and, and you, and as we talked about before, you just, you're out of room, if you will, inside of your 401k or IRAs to put money. And so you have to start building investments outside of there. And so when you're looking to do that and you're looking at what efficient or what investments are tax efficient, uh, from under the don't make it worse category, things like municipal bonds, uh, which are basically lending money to municipalities or cities or sometimes states and hospitals or toll roads and that kind of thing. And uh, depending on the state you live in, um, almost all of them are, are federal income tax exempt. And if you're often if you're getting bonds within your state, they can also be state income tax exempt as well. And so not only does it uh, not increase your taxes, but it allows you to make sure that you're not making your, your tax situation a little worse. Um, there's a couple other investments that fit under there as well that uh, if you've done much research and in investments in the last few years, you've probably run across things called index funds, which are just really, really low cost, really broad based investment vehicles. But they're also very tax efficient because they don't do a lot of trading inside of them. And so what you want to try to do is avoid getting into specific investments, whether it's stocks or bonds that are not only taxable, but maybe make a lot of trades inside of there because as you make gains and depending on how long you hold them, those gains can be taxed pretty heavily and make that situation a little worse. How about the um, other thing, you know, you talked about index funds, et cetera. There's another thing I've heard of, and, and I don't quite understand these too well because I haven't done much with it, is, is MLPs or uh, what's it called? Um, uh, Master Limited Partnerships. What are those? Yeah, so Master Limited Partnerships are, are something that can have a place for, for some folks, uh, but they probably get a little bit more fanfare than they ought to sometimes. And I only say that because uh, sometimes they seem like a, a really great magic formula for folks, but they're, they're basically... Uh, limited partnerships, which when you're a limited partner of an investment, you don't have the same liability as someone who's what's called a general partner. So they can be safer from a, are you exposed to the liability of the business standpoint, uh, but they can also allow you to still have a partnership interest in it. So a lot of times limited partnerships are good investments because you can receive pass-through losses uh, in there. And so it's part of the income that's received from these investments, part of what comes back to you is actually depreciation, which depreciation is just the IRS's way of saying, hey, we recognize you bought some type of asset. We know it's going to be good for, let's say, 20 years. So every year you can take a little bit of that as a loss or a write-off. And so sometimes these master limited partnerships and limited partnerships in general allow you to get a higher income but have less of that income actually taxable because you're getting some of those deductions passed through. Uh, and there's a variety of different ones uh, that, that, that are out there. The most common that you're seeing right now are, are master limited partnerships involved in uh, natural gas or oil transportation. And they're actually the companies that create those pipelines that move from where the oil comes out of the ground to where it goes to the refineries to go into our cars or planes or whatever it may be. A lot of master limited partnerships these days are those pipeline type companies. 
The real getting back to real estate, and mm-hmm. and that. And by the way, if you if you are looking more towards this, you actually should probably hire somebody or start reading more about these MLPs that we're talking about. Getting a little bit into the weeds here, but that's okay. Uh, these are all good suggestions. But real estate, usually, I've always talked about it within you know more being actively involved in real estate. But you don't actually need to be. There's these things called REITs that you can invest in and uh, uh, other type of things. What are some of the differences between these passive and active real estate investments? Yeah, great question. So there's there's passive and active. When we think about that and say that out loud, a lot of times we're thinking about our own involvement in it. And so we can say passive for, for us as investors is we don't have to do anything. We just put our money in there and over time it pays us income or grows in value. Whereas if we think about active real estate, we're thinking about maybe we're actually going and buying those homes and we're the property manager and we are getting the 5 a.m. call to fix the toilet <laughs> or the shower. Uh, and so we're more actively involved in there. So that's one element of it. And for a lot of folks, as you as you build up assets over time, you really want to shift more towards the passive side of things because in that way your money's working for you and you're not just working for it. Uh, however, one interesting piece to, to real estate investment is the IRS actually has a little bit different definition of of passive and active in there. And what that means is that even if you have, if you own a bunch of rental properties and you're kind of the main person in there, if you're not classified as what the IRS calls a real estate professional, uh, which can get into a little bit of the, the weeds on there, but if you're not classified as real estate professional, it actually limits the amount of losses that you can take up to your income inside of there. Uh, However, if you're able to be classified as active or a real estate professional, uh, and this could combine you or your spouse, you can actually take losses far beyond the income that's generated from real estate. And that's where a lot of times you'll hear people talk about real estate having such great tax advantages as an investment. Oh, that's interesting. And that's where I think that people get kind of confused, you know, what's passive, what's active. So that's a great, uh, great explanation there. And, uh, and real estate is, a, it's a good thing to get into. And a lot of people do actively get involved with with real estate as far as sales, etc. That's another side. But boy, I tell you what, I know a guy he's doing really well with real estate as a side business. As a matter of fact, if he lost his medical, he could almost replace his income within like a year or two, just getting back into the, the real estate world as far as sales, etc. So some people get into real estate in other ways. They love to actually go out and uh, they're, they're really analytical and they like to go out and actually survey homes and, and inspect homes and those type of things. So there's a couple of different things you get, get into involved in there that are very active in the real estate business. Um, one, one of the things too, and that again, we're, we're kind of, we can get really, really into it just an hour or two discussion just about real estate. Uh, one of the things that's important, I think, and as far as when you're investing is is location, location of your investments. And and I, there's many things that we talk about here, but as far as I'm concerned, I talked about having a, an investment a thousand miles away in real estate, but also I've invested overseas and investing overseas, there's another thing that I think is important that you'll probably get into, uh, but I didn't realize the tax implications in that. I wondered, I was like, oh my gosh, what is this tax I'm actually having to pay because of the monies that I made overseas? I was like, oh no, I just, I didn't really plan for that. And uh, that was something that was a big eye opener at first. It's not bad to actually locate some of those investments overseas, but make sure you realize that there's laws that are involved, both in the United States, if you're here in the U.S. and overseas, and as far as 
keeping money overseas. There are certain countries will not allow you to repatriate your funds. If you say invest like a thousand dollars in the Bahamas and you make two thousand dollars, you can only take that thousand dollars back out. Uh, there are certain things, that, and, and I'm just using that as an example. But there's lots of other countries like that, so you have to be kind of careful there. Um, what are some other the other concerns? I know that's some of the things I've run across, but what are some of the other concerns as far as locations of your investments? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think there, there's two elements to it. There's there's geographic location, and that could be everything from what uh, you mentioned earlier, having your your closest rental property a thousand miles away, and some of the challenges that that has with it. That same thing also applies to different business interests that you have as well. Uh, there's also a lot of considerations that uh, you need to think about with overseas investing. Every once in a while, I talk to a pilot who's been at the majors for for many years and is uh, you know quote unquote sick of sick of the taxes and uh, someone he's flown with has shared with some uh, some interesting idea about how to handle things overseas and, and shelter it and uh, my my the, the one point I make on that is if you've thought about it or you've talked to someone who's thought about it the IRS and the government has thought about it as well <laughs> and it's it, it's something you want to make sure you know all the rules and you want to go to. Uh, really good, not even just an accountant, but a good tax attorney as you're looking at different investments overseas and in talking about legitimate investments overseas, uh, up to and including real estate in, in different parts of the world. I've seen that a couple times and it can be a bit of a of a challenge going into something not knowing all the details. So you definitely want to make sure you're, you're cautious on that. And then at another level of where you locate your investments, which this applies to, to everybody. Uh, and it's one of the most overlooked elements of, of being efficient with your taxes, and that's what what types of investments are best inside of an IRA and a 401k, and what types of investments might be best outside in just a regular investment or brokerage account. And so when we look at that with folks, when you think about the different types of investments that are out there, you have investments that pay income, which are often not as tax efficient. And then you have investments that tend to grow and appreciate over time, which tend to be more tax efficient each year. And so if you have investments that pay income each year, that's really great. But just about all the time, unless you're looking at municipal bonds or there's quite a bit of uh, depreciation pass through that we talked about earlier, the IRS is going to want to tax that income regularly and year after year. And if you're having money taxed, as we all know, each year, your chance, you're lowering your potential growth over a lot of times or a lot of time frames. So if you put those investments that are highly taxed inside of your IRAs or 401ks, you defer paying all that taxes until that money comes out. Uh, and then on the other hand, if you've got investments, say you have stocks that you plan to hold forever or, or really efficient index mutual funds that you want to hold for a long time, if you locate those outside of your IRAs and 401ks, you can let that growth kind of compound because you won't pay taxes on that until you pay capital gains taxes from selling those investments. And so just having an idea of where you put certain types of investments can also make a big difference in your net worth over time through tax savings. One of the things that I think is important to say in this conversation here is is make sure you do this legally. And, uh, you know, when you're we're talking about efficiencies, you really it's best to have a planner, a tax planner and also uh, a financial planner help you with this. Because you can actually be really surprised uh, at the different laws that are involved and uh, having various investments also becoming inefficient 
tax-wise. And, uh, you know, there there's a difference between trying to, you know, avoid taxes and lowering your taxes. You know, there, there's a big difference between doing things legally and illegally. And we're always telling people, make sure you do them legally. You may wind up doing them illegally by accident. So that's why you need to consult a good advisor and also a good, you know, tax attorney and also having a good CPA in your pocket. I personally don't do anything without talking to my accountant. Before I do any investing, I say, hey, what am I going to do here? And I know I complain sometimes to my accountant more than anybody else about taxing, about paying taxes. But his comment to me is always, listen, at least you're paying taxes. That means you're making money. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you, you've got a good point there. I shouldn't really be complaining. It's usually uh, when when you're not paying taxes, you're not making money a lot of times. Uh, but we want to obviously do it in the most efficient way possible. And that's what kind of we've gone over here. And this is a lot of stuff, by the way, Andy, we've gone over. We went a little bit long today, but this has been awesome. Andy, if somebody really wants to get in touch with you and wants to learn more about some of these things, there's there's some good stuff that you have going out there. Uh, I'd like you kind of to mention that as far as like your newsletter and your website. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Thanks, Carl. And yeah, my, my blog is airspeedandmoney.com and the and is spelled out. So airspeedandmoney.com. And if you go there right now, you can get a copy of my book if you sign up for my newsletter, which I try to send out or I do send out every week with... Uh, hopefully and generally some some good content that goes a little bit more in depth into these. So I would encourage folks to sign up for that and check out my book. It's called Millionaire uh, Strategies for Pilots to Build Significant Wealth. And then the other thing, Carl, I, I think you mentioned it, but upcoming, we're just putting together this course under your platform to go into some of these more complicated things in, in more detail. Yeah, and we'll be hopefully getting that out within the next month or so uh, after we finish this series, obviously, with a podcast. Uh, but we're really working on that. And uh, it's been, as a matter of fact, again, looking at things that uh, <laughs> getting ideas from other people. If you noticed on the podcast, we're switching our platform to a new training platform. And we've done most of it ourselves. I've done most of the programming. Well, I'm a good programmer, but I really stink when it comes to presentation. And there's another platform we've gone to that does a better job at the presentation side of things. And uh, Andy is actually the one that suggested that. So again, thank Andy for that, that it look, looks better and also is more efficient and easier to use. That's one of the comments I've been getting. Uh, again, you have to make sure, you know, even though you're doing stuff for years, make sure you listen to other people out there. And, and thank God we've, we listened to Andy on this one, uh, because it really has helped and made my life easier and made the people that are actually using our courses uh, had them look at that and said, hey, listen, you know, this is so much easier and this is so much better. So I got to thank Andy for for actually sparing the idea of putting the classes together in a much more efficient and uh, easier manner. We're going to be putting one out as far as uh, investing is concerned. And by the way, if you're looking for coaching, obviously career coaching with me and also financial coaching with Andy, you can uh, look at the, his website there. Uh, one of the things that we do go over when we are doing some of our coaching is some financial planning as far as uh, moving forward in your career. But if you're looking for strict financial advice, uh, you know, Andy's a great resource and, and has been a great resource for a lot of people listening to this show. And um, I know a lot of people are appreciative as, as to what you do there. Um, before we do go, one of the things I want to mention is uh, staying safe. I know uh, one of the things that we're looking at is being hit with a hurricane here. Not just safe physically, but being safe with your 
investments. And uh, we haven't gotten into it in this episode, but you know, there's there's a lot of times you need to make sure you have your investments set up and your financial world set up. So what does happen when when catastrophe strikes? You know, when you can't be uh, in the world of investing, you can't be out there looking at all of your financial uh, investments because you're you're disconnected from the world. What have you done? Start thinking about that. What have you done to make yourself safe as far as your investments are concerned? And uh, and also letting your family know where everything is. You know, a lot of times we have a spouse, uh, a significant other that we invest money with, but they may not know exactly what's going on with your situation. So, so make sure you bring them into the fold. And I think Andy said this too, is make sure the whole world in your world knows about what's happening when we're doing planning. I mean, do that in our coaching. I make sure that your spouse knows, your friends and your family know what's happening. And I think that's really, really important. I appreciate you doing that. And Andy, thanks for being here again on this episode. This has been awesome. Oh, you bet. Thanks for having me, Carl. Uh, anyway, well, before we go, I got to mention we do have the pick of the week. I sometimes forget to do this. Uh, it is actually an article. Uh, it talks about aviation is among the rising careers in Polk County's economy. One of the main reasons we moved here, and uh, some people ask me why I moved to Lakeland, Florida. Uh, I've, I've you know, really talked about it, but I'd love you to read this article. And it's an article in the Ledger, which is our local paper, and uh, has some of the students that I've actually worked with in in that article in, in a picture in the cast in there. Uh, maybe we'll be able to put that in the blog post. And it's uh, Trey LaFon who's actually on there doing some instructing and just really, really interesting uh, article about what's happening in Central Florida and uh, in the Polk County region. And Eric Crump, just a big shout out to him starting that that program that with hardly any students and now growing it to over 240 students. And it's one of the faster growing aviation programs in the United States right now. Big shout out there. Uh, but anyway, before we close, I, I like to always tell people to do something now, do something today to, of course, move forward in your career. And and obviously we're focusing, focusing on finances. So try to do something today that's going to help you move forward with your career and your life. And and it might be just putting a few dollars away every month uh, towards investments in, in your future. We talked about different investments in your future. Maybe it's reading a book or looking at a video on YouTube or listening to this podcast. But, but do something now. Do something today that'll help you move forward in your career. It could be a small step. It could be a large step. But but please do it now. Folks, we'll talk to you next episode. Like I said, stay safe. Uh, we're going to be, I know there's a lot of people listening that are in the path of this hurricane. We're probably not going to be able to come out with the next episode. I have a lot of people evacuating towards us. I may be getting stuck somewhere else uh, with this whole storm. Uh, a lot of airlines, what they do is uh, when a hurricane is approaching, they ask people to come in to move airplanes, and I'm probably going to be wind up uh, doing that, is moving airplanes out of the path of the hurricane. So stay safe, and we'll talk to you next episode. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, all rights reserved.